Acton Academy, Placer, Apogee Strong, and our friends over at discoverpraxis.com. Dude, speaking of Praxis, we actually have the founder, CEO of Crash and Praxis here with us today. Uh, Mr. Isaac Morehouse is somebody that I've known for a long time, but known like through the social media verse and known through emails and known through tweeting to each other and and DMing each other. But this is the first time we actually got to kind of chat um, and actually have a conversation. And he joined all of the guys on Apogee Strong to talk the future of education um, and to help dispel some myths uh, and some things that we all uh, think that aren't necessarily true. And it was definitely one of my favorite conversations of the year. So check out Mr. Isaac Morehouse. What's happening, sir? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. This dude, this is the first time in years that we've actually ever gotten to do this, man, which is rad. It is, and it's pretty crazy because I feel like I know you so well after all these years of you know doing all kinds of collabs and stuff, but I don't think we've actually ever face to face. We have not, man. Yeah, it's it is. It's kind of nuts, and I feel the same way. And it's like I, I'm, you know, thinking about last night. I'm like, okay, dude, I've talked to this dude or talked about this guy to about a billion different people over the last <laughs> five, six, seven years, man. And your name comes up, you know, it's a, it's a weekly thing. So this is rad, man. I appreciate you being on. Yeah. This is, this, is, this is awesome, man. And so we run this as, um, you know, we run it as an uh, essential 11 episode too. And so um, it'll go out to, to everybody that we've got listening, the young heroes, the parents, we had a lot of parents, you know, around the world. And, um, but then we got the Apogee guys here too. And so Tim Kennedy and I started this program to mentor these young dudes. And uh, these are, these are just some amazing young leaders, man. And, and uh, we talk a whole lot about your programs and all that stuff too. So it's all good stuff. Well, I can tell there's some quality here because um, I've done, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of shops and Zooms and whatever. And mo mostly with people who are in their 20s, sometimes even older, getting their career started. And what always happens, you get on there and I'll say, hey, what's going on? How's everybody doing? And like, no one has their camera on and no one says anything. I already got three or four of you guys. You don't know me, but you immediately jumped in. You're not afraid. So you're, you got a huge jump on uh, most of the people out there in the world. Dude, that's what we, that's what we talk about with these guys, you know, and I, I've, you know, we know, I mean, you know about Acton Academy, so I can just speak directly yeah. about it, but you know, I mean, we've got some of these, you know, our young heroes are starting their meetings every day, standing up, looking each other in the eye, you know, they're shaking hands, they're saying good morning, and then they're taking on these massive responsibilities. So we've had parents come in, we've had entrepreneurs come in, you know, we've had a number of people come to the campus. They'll be greeted by a young hero who looks them in the eye, shakes their hand, says, how can I help you? And they're immediately like, hey, um, I need to hire this person. Like legitimately, like let's yeah. let's go, you know? And then you've built an entire, I mean, you've built, you know, arguably, in my opinion, the two of the best um, programs, you know, really related to a lot of those principles, man, going out there and doing the things that actually need to be done versus all the faux prestige, you know, nonsense. Yep. Yep. No. So, so you see it. Well, you, so, you lead the way, man. I'm, I'm just here to do whatever oh, we need to do. I didn't, I didn't prepare anything. It's just whatever's in but, my head. And, that's, and it's better that way, man. Right. So the way we want to do is I just love to start with like a little origin story. I sent these guys, you know, some background on you and some of the things you've done. So I just kind of want to get a little origin story about Isaac as, as this young man and, and latching on to, you know, you and I have the same uh, favorite F word, which is freedom. And, uh, you know, kind of latching onto that principle and, and, the organizations that you've started, the kind of the movement that you've helped um, kind of go, I just kind of want to go that whole way. I'll ask a couple follow-up questions, but then these guys are going to ask the killer questions. So Awesome. I love it. So uh, I was born and raised in Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, I escaped Michigan um, at a later age for more economic opportunity, but I love Michigan. It's near and dear to my heart. You see my Tigers hat. I'm a I'm a lifelong depressed Detroit Lions fan. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. The pain is real. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up homeschooled and my mom and dad had decided to homeschool us. Um, and my dad got in a car accident when I was three years old. And, uh, and I've got an older brother and older sister. And he was in a coma for like three months. They said he wasn't going to live. Um, you know, they told my mom she could pull the plug. She didn't. And he actually ended up coming out of the coma little by little rehabbing and coming home. And he's, you know, lived at home all growing up, but he's in a wheelchair. He has no short-term memory. Um, so like you have to constantly remind him of stuff. He can't walk. He needs 24-hour care. So I grew up with him in the house 
home health aides in the house helping him. Um, you know, we, uh, us kids did a lot to help him. And my mom was homeschooling three kids and taking care of a, a handicapped husband. And so kind of like by default, I grew up with a lot of independence. Like we just had to have a lot of responsibility. We had a lot of household chores. I had jobs uh, since, since age eight, nine, 10, like, you know, doing lawns and stuff, doing uh, delivering weekly papers, delivering daily papers, you know, working at a, a golf course that my aunt was, was running. Like just always had some kind of work outside the house and a lot of chores inside the house. And, but the schooling, the education was like pretty loose. I mean, my mom was very social. So back then we had physical phones mounted on the wall with cords and you had to be standing there and the phone would ring and you had to go pick it up and you didn't know who it was. And the phone would, mom would go talk. She had all these fish. She'd be talking on the phone. So my brother and I would sneak upstairs and play Legos and try, you know, like if you've ever dug through a Lego bin, it's really loud. So we try to like one by one. So my mom wouldn't hear and be like, wait a minute, they're supposed to be doing school. And then, you know, she'd <laughs> get that right. This was like the, it was like playing baseball, playing Legos, trying to get out of doing schoolwork. And we took homeschool classes. We had a, you know, actually a very vibrant social life, played a basketball team, played baseball, stuff like that. But just really academically, it was pretty haphazard. And at the time, uh, my mom was like super stressed about this and thought she was a terrible parent. And of course. When I, when I was about 14, my siblings both had their driver's license now. So they're out of the house a lot. I'm a teenager. I don't want to be at the house with my mom all the time. Just me. I want to be out there with my friends doing stuff. So me and a couple other friends who were homeschool, we, we went to this, um, this private school. It was like, so I was like a sophomore and I was like, I don't know. I've never really had very much structure on the academic side. Um, but it didn't matter. I got in and like, it was fine. I, I immediately, in fact, I found it to be academically surprisingly easy because I learned the kids who struggled, it was primarily a work ethic issue more than an intelligence issue. It was like, they just didn't do their homework or they would stall or they would delay. And so I learned like, that was my first insight. Cause I truly was like, I don't know, maybe I'm stupid. I've never taken a standardized test. I've never, you know what I mean? And I go in at age 14 and I go in and, and like, no, I'm actually fine. And I realized that independence and work ethic, given that, you know, we were always really independent and just kind of pursuing our own interests. And that we had a lot of responsibility with chores and things like that and jobs. Those traits were infinitely more valuable than whether or not I had read 10th grade biology textbooks the previous year or whatever else. Like you can catch up and like so quickly. And that kind of stuck with me, that insight. And that's turns out to be true in the, in the real world, in the marketplace as well. Um, you know, a little curiosity, a little hustle, uh, work ethic and, and character infinitely more valuable than any particular knowledge. Cause you can gain that stuff real quick when the time, when, when the necessity calls, right. Learning I, it's like just in time learning instead of just in case learning, right. When you need to learn something quick for a real purpose, you can do it. And That's when right. you don't, when you don't need it, you're just learning it just in case someday you might need to know what the Pythagorean theorem is. Uh, yep. you don't remember it. It is not that valuable. So that kind of contextualized, you know, like you got to be in a place where you need it. So from there, um, I, I went to that school for one year and it was fun. I enjoyed the sports and the social stuff, but I felt like I don't like being on everybody else's schedule. I want more flexibility. I was used to having a lot of independence. So I wanted to work more and earn more money. I wanted to kind of do things. So I went to community college, um, you know, a couple, two, two, three days a week for my last two years of high school and, and worked the other days. And, um, and then I transferred over to a, just a generic state four-year university in, in Kalamazoo, Western Michigan University. And I paid my way through. I would work two or three days a week for a small business, uh, small business that, owner that I knew. And I was installing back before Wi-Fi when you needed a physical cord to, to have high-speed yeah. internet. And your high-speed internet was really new and you had to install an yeah. Ethernet cable. So I was installing these at car dealerships and all these businesses all over the state of Michigan making good money, learning a ton in way over my head and then turning around and spending all that money I earned to pay for classes that like nobody wanted to be there. Kids yep. were like hung over and bored. The professors didn't even seem, I was just like the whole college yep. experience. I, was, I mean, there was a few good classes and a few things that were cool, but it was like, really? Why do I need this? Why does everybody say I have to have this to succeed in my career? It seems really ridiculous. And I kind of, I kind of had this realization while I was there, like, what am I actually buying here? I'm buying a piece of paper that tells the world 
I'm probably no worse than all the other people who have this same piece of paper. There and at go. Western Michigan University, that's not a very impressive thing. I look around the classroom and <laughs> all these hungover kids who like, yep. you know, we would do like trade and grade exercises on like an essay. And these are like 20 year old college students. They could barely spell, put together coherent thought. I mean, it was just like, man, really? That's, that's really it. Like, so I'm going to go out in the world and someone's going to say, wow, you have a BA from Western Michigan University here take a paycheck. Right. And I was like, why is this idea that a college degree is this, is this incredible thing that's going to open up all these career opportunities. And I was trying to kind of figure it out. So I didn't really, like, I knew I was frustrated with the way education was done, but I didn't know what to do about it. So I just kind of followed my interests for the next 10 years in my career. Um, I started off kind of in the political realm because I'm like, Hey, I love, I want, more human freedom in the world. I had done a lot yep. of missions trips and traveled around to, to, you know, spend a lot of time in very poor countries and been like, man, yep. what's the source of this? It's, it's lack of freedom. It's lack of free enterprise. How do we en enhance that? So first I thought, well, it's politics. And so I worked in the state uh, house of representatives in Michigan. And I realized pretty quickly, that's not where massive social changes start. That's, that's like right. the last thing to happen is politicians to figure out you know, they put their finger in the wind and they say, oh, I'll be popular if I do this because everybody already wants it. And That's then right. they do some stuff. And I was like, I don't want to get trapped there. For one, I'll lose my soul. Uh, politics is very dangerous for your well-being. It's like uh, Lord of the Rings. It's like, you know, trying to use the ring of power for good. It's very dangerous. Right. Um, yep. And two, it's not that effective. You know, I, I look around the world and I see, you know, people lobbying and doing political stuff to try to get something changed uh, for years and years and years. And then I see an entrepreneur, you know, like, like taxi cab cartels, you know, like, Oh, it's not legal to offer people rides unless you have a taxi medallion and it's some government monopoly. And people have been fighting that lobbying against that, trying to change that for like decades. That's Nothing. right. And then an entrepreneur just goes and builds Uber Bingo. and it's like, boom, game change. And so I saw that and I thought, man, I, I went and worked for some nonprofits doing sort of career related stuff. And that's when it hit me, like I had worked with a lot of business owners and a lot of students. And I heard all the students, college grads saying, man, I've got a degree, I've got 80K in debt and no one's hiring. I can't get a job anywhere. So I guess I'll go back and get a master's degree so I don't have to pay off my student loan debt so soon. Yep. And then I come out with a master's degree and I got $130,000 in debt and nobody still wants to hire them. And I kept hearing that over and over with all these thousands of college students I was working with at this nonprofit. Then I'm talking to all these really wealthy, successful people doing fundraising, people who are self-made millionaires, occasionally billionaires who would build businesses and empires. And I'd always ask them, what's your biggest constraint to growth? And they'd always say, people. I can't find enough good people. And they'd say, I don't care what the economy is doing. If I find a good, talented person, I'll hire them no matter what. There just That's aren't right. enough of them. And I'm thinking, all the business owners are telling me they can't find enough good workers. All the young people who just got college degrees are telling me nobody wants to hire them. <laughs> it's like... What's going on here? So I got this idea. I'm like, all right, what's the fastest way to get somebody from student to productive, you know, career launched adult? Mm -hmm. And if we just remove all the stuff that, that is like yep. all these things that we Kill the fluff. about college and all that yep. and say, what if we just started from scratch? What do you actually need to be valuable in the marketplace to get a real job that has like a future and, a, and it's a career, you know, a career, um, a real career move. Say you're 17, 18, you, you, you come out of high school, you're ready to move out your parents' house or at least give it a shot, go out in the world, get a real job, uh, or you're 20, whatever, whenever that age is for you. Mm -hmm. The idea that going and spending four, actually now the average is six years to get a bachelor's degree, but going or, or almost six years, going and spending four to six years Sitting in cinder block cells under fluorescent lights, learning from professors, most of whom have never had a job outside of the academy and there are like go. scared of the free market or hate it yep. in many cases. Yep. And you're, and, and, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars for the privilege of having them tell you stuff. Even if you're taking a business or a marketing class, the things they're teaching you are like 30 years out of date, like entirely. And then going out in the world and being like, okay, now I'm supposed to be more valuable. I thought the absurdity of that. So what, what could you do? Well, you need just a handful of basic skills. You need a mindset shift. You need to, mm -hmm. to have that self-ownership mindset. You need to have yeah. that kind of personal responsibility mindset, mindset of curiosity and eagerness. We call it forward tilt at Praxis, yep. where you're like yep. the type of person who's literally leaning forward because they're eager and excited. Yep. 
And then you just need a few basic skills. Like, all right, say I want to work in digital marketing at a cool, fast-growing tech company. That's a great place to start a career. Mm -hmm. I just need some basics. I need, first of all, I need basic email etiquette because people in the professional world, they use email. Young people don't. Young people use text messages and they do it with bad grammar. But in the professional world, you just need to know how to use basic email etiquette, how yep. to use Google Calendar, you know, how to use some basic tools like Slack or Trello, maybe Salesforce, like, a, a, you know, some of these database programs, really simple stuff. But if you can learn some very basic software tools at a very basic level, Excel spreadsheets, know yep. how to use spreadsheets in basic ways. And you, you kind of have some of those basic things and that work ethic and that eagerness. Bingo. That's enough for a company, especially when you're young, because you can go in at a very low cost to that company. You can say, hey, look, I'm 18. I have no experience, but I've got a killer mindset. I'm super eager. I want to learn everything. And I'll come and work for you and do whatever you need on your sales and marketing team, 10 bucks an hour. And they're used to hiring entry-level people at $40,000, $50,000 a year, whatever. If you can come in and show that you've got the mentality, and, even, and so what I thought was, all right, so I've got to get people in the real world as fast as possible. Because in the classroom, you just don't learn how to, how to work at a business. It's so different. Absolutely. Get them in a business setting. But for companies, they're like, I don't want to bring on some kid that I'm going to need to kind of babysit all the time. And I got to teach him everything. And it's, it's just a lot of work. We're already busy. So what I had to do was like, how can I put together something that takes people who've got the right raw material and get them just high enough to where they can create value from that company from day one and the company doesn't feel like it's a burden to them. And so I thought, well, what if we set up an apprenticeship where the company gets these, these, um, you know, these workers for a very low price, you know, the, 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 the same they would pay a, a summer intern or something like that. But we have already trained them and vetted them on the basics and we're supporting them as they're working through a six-month apprenticeship. They're working full-time but we're giving them additional support and helping them learn and get better at their job so that the company doesn't feel like it's a burden so that they're actually creating value for the company instead of, um, you know, creating more headache. And so I started asking around to business owners and they were all very interested in this idea. And so I just, I just went for it. I had no, I quit my job. I, I mean, I started building it before I quit my job, but then I just quit my job. I have family. I don't have a bunch of money. I, I like, I need steady income. I just started putting on my credit card, started building this thing and like, all right, let's go. Let's see if we can get anybody to do this. And this was in 2013 where the idea of dropping out of college was even more crazy than it is yeah, now. It's crazy much more yep. realize yep. they see, they see what I saw then. And I'm going out and I'm like, I'm going to like, like college clubs, like student clubs would bring me in to speak at a university and I would get up and give a talk. That was, that'd be like drop out of college right now. How many, uh, how many invites back did you get? It was surprising. <laughs> a lot of professors were not happy, but uh, I actually got yeah. lucky because students were yeah. like hungry for it. Cause they're like, yeah. they felt it, you know, yep. especially yep. those, if they were on a scholarship or their parents were paying and they just wanted their parents to pay for a 40 year party. Some of them were like, whatever. But those who were like, hustlers and grinders and they're paying some of their own way through or going into, they're like, I'm looking around and I'm not seeing anything that's going to help my career. So, yeah. so I launched Praxis in 2013 and, you know, we, I mean, the first class, it was like scratching and clawing. I got five people to do it, mm -hmm. five people to come and do it. Um, and the next class was like eight people. Uh, and it was 10 people bit by bit, you know, now, now we do 15, 20 people a month. Um, yeah. but getting people to, you know, come in, go through a six month boot camp where we kind of just get you the basic skills and then we place you in a company where you're apprenticing for six months. And at the end of the program, we have a 96% employment rate. It's zero yep. debt because you earn money during the apprenticeship, which covers your time. Right. So the cost is zero for a one year experience. You come away with a portfolio of skills, six month work experience at a startup and 96% of grads have a job offer upon graduation at an average of $50,000 a year. And the average age is like 19 and a half years old no college degree most of the time. Um, so it's like, you know, that, that was real vindication for me for the theory I had of what, how this could work. Um, so after, after doing this and then I'll, I'll be, I'll be wrapped up. This is my last so minute. So good, man, dude. No, this is, this is, uh, 
I mean, and I know, and I know this story, but I can hear it all because this, there's so many parallels and I've taken, I've already got, dude, I've already got a page full of notes and things that I want to <laughs> like, this is freaking, this is my, uh, this is all the best stuff. Yes. It's, it's catnip for you. Huh? God bless it. Um, so, you know, about, about five years in to Praxis, we had gone from, like I said, I mean, it was rough. I, I ended up, um, I raised a little bit of money from a guy, an angel investor, a guy who came to me and was like, dude, I love what you're doing. I want to support it. And I'm like, well, I'm not really raising money. I'm trying to see if I can bootstrap. He's like, no, just tell me. I'll, I'll raise. So like really good terms. He, he raised, um, you know, he, he invested in it, which helped us a ton. Then I was able to actually eat and, yeah, uh, and then I was able help. to hire a couple people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we got up to, you know, we were doing, you know, 100, 120 students a year doing a million and a half in revenue and just growing steadily, um, mm -hmm. profitable, had like 10, 12 employees. And, and I started to get the itch again. I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I built this, it's working, it's going to keep growing. But like, but I want to take a bigger shot at something. I just, I've got that sickness. I've learned it about myself, the entrepreneurial thing. And I've got like a high risk tolerance. I just, I want to go take big shots. I want to try new stuff. And so I, I kind of like, I knew there was something else here. And so um, I got this idea for kind of taking one tiny piece of what Praxis helped people do mm -hmm. and splitting it off and trying to make kind of a software platform or a self-service yep. program or, or piece or product around it for job seekers, which is much, you know, much smaller of a vision, but it's basically the idea that we saw through Praxis of get jobs by being your own credential, right? So the idea of a credential is you get some third party, some institution that's respectable to put a stamp of approval on, which is yep. what a college so you, degree is, right? So yep, look, I have a degree from whatever university, they yep. vouch for me. And I saw that that just is, is almost worthless now in the workplace. People, do, employers like, what does that mean? You have a you have a marketing degree from the University of Iowa. I have no idea if that makes you valuable. Right. That credential right. is plummeting in value. But meanwhile, because of the, the digital world, you have the ability to be your own credential, to create a body of work that signals your ability, like a short video of you saying, hey, this is what I am. This is what I'm all about. Here's what I can do. And here's three projects I made. And then I can go mm -hmm. click and see, oh, you once did a project where you set up a landing page and tried to see how many people you could get to sign up to an email. And then you, you know, whatever you did a, you know, you learned some code and you made some, whatever it is demonstrating, like showing your work instead of just saying, here's a bunch of degrees and grades that I got. Right. So crash was born out of that. Um, and I, I, you know, and, and it's, and it started, you know, primarily as a software product. Now, I'm not a coder myself. So I had to hire some developers. You know, I went, I went out to Silicon Valley for a summer and went through this startup incubator thing. I mean, it's been a crazy, crazy ride, but the basic idea is for people on the job hunt to not send resumes, like we say, burn your resume, uh, but right. instead to send projects and video pitches. And that's it. Crash is very narrow. It's like, can we reach millions of people with this? Whereas Praxis is like, we're going to teach you how to get the skills, how to get the mindset, get you there, help you build a portfolio and then help you pitch companies. Amen. Crash is literally just that little thing. So. Um, you know, that's where it is. And we've had, I mean, the ups and downs and mistakes and crash has been a much bumpier road. It's like so different building a software company than a, than a, you know, a no service doubt. business essentially, which, which practices, but that's kind of it, man. That brings <sighs> us to, to where we are. And, um, you know, I'm that, what gets me hyped is helping people discover and do what makes them come alive. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really privileged with the, the great teams we put together at Praxis and Crash to have been able to do that for, for thousands of people and see those results. And it's a, it's a good feeling. It's a great feeling, man. And there's so many dang parallels, so many parallels from that entire story of so many things that um, I have also seen as well, too. And, and, and you know, looking at the, the relationship between Acton and Apogee and Praxis and Crash and everybody being on the same mission, but it's born out of the same realizations, right? And I'm going through so many of these, these dang things. And you're talking about the credential, right? And, the, and you're right, man. It's a, it used to be more of a rare thing, right? There was too many people that had gone through and done this thing. So it was something unique. There was some specific education that they had done. Not a lot of other people had, had done it. So you know, it gave in theory some sort of value because there was a, you know, there was that limited cap. Now everybody and their mom has a credential and organizations, you know, this just as well as I do. I mean, they'll use must have credential on a job or a, a must have a bachelor's, you know, on, on a job description 
purely because they don't want a thousand resumes coming across their desk. If they can put that filtering mechanism in and get it down to, you know, 300, well, great. That's just less that I got to shift, you know. And the little secret is that they don't mean it. So I I can't tell you how many times, literally hundreds of times. Yep. Praxis participants, they will go pitch a job. There'll be a job posting and it will say, you know, whatever, digital marketing specialist at Spotify. And they'll say two to three years experience and a four-year degree required. That's right. And I'll have an 18-year-old with zero years experience and no degree beat out people from Ivy League schools to get that job. I'm not kidding. You bet. Because they they don't care. Once you send them something that catches their attention, they don't even ask. So many times we've had Praxis grads get hired and then the, then the hiring manager's like, wait, you didn't go to college? Oh, I didn't even know that. They don't even yep. think to ask because once you show them something, hey, check it out. I'm super excited about working for you. I built this little video tutorial about what I would do in my first 30 days. Let me know if we can talk. Yep. They see that and they're blown away and they want to learn more. And, it's a done and they don't care where you went to school at that point. They just that's don't even exactly think about right. it because it's irrelevant. So that's exactly right. Yeah. Which shows, and, and honestly, they don't care. They really honestly usually don't care in the first place. And I've asked, right. you know, I ask organizations that I've gotten to work for, you know, uh, I've gotten to work with over 300 organizations over the last six, seven years. And so we, we ask these kind of, you know, I'm asking these kind of questions because they're bringing me in precisely around the stuff we're talking about. They're going, hey, look, we're hiring all these college grads. They suck. Like we want to ditch them. You know, we've got, and I, and I kind of extrapolate on that. I kind of go a little further in that. I got another TEDx that's coming out um, in probably like in December. And I talk about that quite a bit. They're going, hey, come on in because we've got these, these college graduates from every university you can think of, but they're awful. They don't actually have a skill set. They don't have anything that transitions to the workplace. They have no idea where, like they're just, you know, which God bless them. They're looking for a job, but there's nothing there. And the hiring managers are very open, very honest with the fact that we don't really care. Um, a lot of times we don't even check. We just, it's a filtering mechanism. So if they say, yeah, they have a degree, we go, okay, cool. They're not even asking for verification on stuff. And they're right. It's this whole, yeah. it's a yeah. game. I mean, I, that's what, that's what occurred to me. I was it's like, game. like if I just wrote down on a piece of paper that I had a degree, no one would ever check. Right. Like that, they don't, they don't even, so you guys ever heard of, of the time, that's probably true. You guys ever heard of the concept of a shit test? Can I say, can I swear on here? Oh no. my God. Yeah. I told, uh, dude, some of the okay, guys, right, right. Navy Seals not, on here I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be crap. No, you're I remember, good. You're I remember good. by the way, some of my classes in college, there'd always be the professor who's like, like, I want to be cool and make the students like me. So they would just swear all the time. Cause they thought <laughs> yeah. that that would make students like them. <laughs> yeah, for but, sure. But you guys ever heard of the concept of a shit test? So, so a lot of times, okay, I'll give you a quick breakdown. A lot of times it's used in the context of like dating, like, um, you know, you're interested in a girl and she's going to give you a shit test, which is basically she'll say something and she wants to see if you immediately go along with whatever she said, or if you have the independence and the boldness to say no. So like, for example, it might be like, Oh, I love romantic comedies. Let's watch a romantic comedy. And if you're like, Oh, okay, great. You failed the shit test unless you actually love romantic comedies. But if you're like, nah, I don't like them. Let's watch something different. Now that a lot of guys think you got to get the girl by like doing whatever she likes, but, but people don't want to date or be friends with people that have no self, right? They want you to be who you are, even if it disagrees with them. So that's, that's like where the concept comes from. People will talk about it, but it, it applies all over the world. So when companies have a job posting and they say, these are the things that you need to get this job intentionally or not, that's basically a shit test. And the people who say, oh man, I think I'm perfect for this job, but it says you have to work in person and I want to work remote. So I guess I won't apply. They failed the shit test. The person who says, man, I think this is a perfect job for me, but it says degree required. I don't have one. They failed the shit test because they're waiting for that person to give them permission and perfectly describe that company is just putting out there. Look, here's what we need solved. And we're going to tell you, you need the following criteria, but really, if you're the kind of person who doesn't have it, but you're bold enough to pitch us anyway, that's actually a good sign. That's a positive sign, right? It's like, like I guess a religious version of the shit test. There's a story of like a a monastery in in, uh, like medieval times. And this guy really wanted to go and be a monk. And he came to the door and they were like, nope, you're not, you're not, you can't, you're you're not worthy. You can't come be a monk here. 
And they did this like five times and he kept persisting. And finally they're like, okay, great. You passed the test, right? That was their way of knowing if you really wanted it. And companies aren't doing this intentionally to play games with you for the most part. Although sometimes uh, some do that in their hiring practices, but just that concept, I think that's something really powerful to take with you. Every time someone Mm -hmm. emails me and says, Hey, I saw you mention this new job opportunity and you know, it sounded great for me, except I don't have any experience in, you know, whatever web development, but everything else fit. So do you think I can apply? And I'm like, why are you asking my permission? Go, go, go apply, go, go give them your best pitch. Right. It's like, you're already missing the point. If you're, if you're, Oh, too bad. Everything's (laughs) perfect. But I guess it's not for me. Like, don't let that, don't let that. Uh, And that's dude. And that's the mindset, right? That's it. And, and we're, you know, you're talking about school at the very beginning and talking about how, um, you know, most things it's like the responsibility versus the academia and there's those work ethic issues and how like we don't, you know, realistically, there's not value in some of that academic learning for, for so many people. But I don't, I, I think it's even worse. Like, I don't even think there's a, a non-value issue. I think it actively acts against you precisely because what you're just talking about right there, you get used to this permission-based mindset. You get used to outsourcing your thinking. You get used to always raising your hand. You get used to always. And so then all of a sudden, that's how you view the world. You're always asking for this permission. And the irony on that is too, you know, a lot of times then you'll have, you know, you'll have your own kids and that you don't feel equipped. You've gone through this system. You don't feel equipped to help educate your own kids. So you put them back in the system that is then, you know, that ultimately let you feel ill-equipped to help them. Right. And it's almost this religiosity around, I've got to do this. I've got to play that. There's no thought. And you just get so much fear around not following that status quo that you are just, you're, you're in a cage, you're in a mental cage for the rest of your life because of that. And I think that is so freaking dangerous, man. Yeah, the, You got to like the beauty of the market is so incredible because there's, there is opportunity for literally every kind of person, every kind of yep. skill set, every kind of interest. And if you think like, I'm not very smart, I don't have very many skills, I don't have very much to offer. That's absolute garbage. Like get yep. that out. That, and that, and I think that's one of the things that the typical approach to schooling and university tends to foster because let's take writing, for example, writing is one of the most valuable skills in the world, whether you're doing it, you know, whether you're writing articles that other people are reading publicly or just internally, you're writing to other people inside a company or whatever, incredibly valuable skill. Most people think that they can't write well because their idea of writing has been, okay, someone forces me to write about a topic I have no interest in. They yeah. give me arbitrary guidelines like page limits and citations I have to include, yeah. whether I think MLA, they help or MLA them. format. Yeah. And then one person who's usually not a super successful person in the broader world, one person reads it. And that one person, depending upon their mood, depending upon what, yep. whether they like you or not, depending upon their own personal taste, they right. tell you whether it was acceptable or not, pass That's or right. fail. This was good writing or bad writing. The market is so insanely different than that, right? Like that one person, like I, I'm, I, I'm guessing every high school English teacher in the country or college probably hates uh, the writing on my blog. I would probably never get an A for anything I've ever written on my blog, but I've published 10 books and sold the shit out of them. Oh, sorry. Ding, I keep swearing. And got gotten invited to do yep. speaking gigs and national TV things because yep. other people like it and they don't care. They don't have the same tastes as one. It's like if you just took one person, you know, imagine, think of like a movie that you love or a video game. And if there was just one random person and they're like a 50 year old, who's not really into video games in the first place. And you put them in a room and say, here's this video game. You get to tell the video game maker whether it fails or succeeds compared to a a world where in the marketplace, There can be people that hate that game. That's right. And people that only kind of like it and people that love it. And, and 10,000 people that love it is enough to make a real product and a real business, even That's if you exactly got a million right. people that hate it, right? So That's like right. that idea that there's one person. That's right. And just that getting it things does. out there and finding, there's, there's someone somewhere that loves, that there's someone that values what you bring to the table out there in the marketplace for sure. That's and exactly right, man. And bring that. 
bring that down the logic train to, to anything, right? I take my, you know, we go out to a, a nice restaurant or something and, and my five-year-old goes, ah, oh, God, you know, I don't like this. And what the chef goes, because some random five-year-old kid says it sucks, I'm going to stop making this, yeah. right? Where we make X amount of money. I mean, that's the same kind of thing. Or you, you're doing something, you know, worthwhile building a business and then somebody, you know, Sally Pants 46 gets on Twitter, <laughs> gets on whatever. And it's just like, Isaac Morehouse is an idiot or Matt Bodro doesn't care about kids or, you know, whatever, right? And all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I guess I'm going to shut the whole thing down. Like, it's just, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any damn sense, you know, to allow those voices to come in. But I think school puts us in that mindset, man, where we start to go, Ooh, okay. Is that, am I really doing something wrong? And we start questioning. And I know it's not just school. I know there's, you know, yeah. it's a multifaceted issue and there's all kinds of things that play into that, but, um, it's definitely not helping our case, man. Um, gentlemen, I'm going to let you guys start putting your, your hands up. I got a couple more things that I want to ask, um, in particular, and we want to honor Mr. Morehouse's time. So I know we got 25 minutes. So you guys start putting your hands up. Um, so that I can, that I can, uh, give you a call, but, um, couple things. One, uh, go Michigan, dude. I, uh, we've got two current Praxians full-time on our staff, um, here at our three campuses. Coincidentally, both happen to be from Michigan and came out here <laughs> yes. in California. I got two, I got two Michiganites out here. Um, and you and I talked not too long ago, man, lions have always been my second favorite team. You said Steelers have always been your second favorite. So we're in good company, um, on that too. Um, but real quick, Chris Roofer, what a rad dude. And I get the pleasure of connecting with him so much. And he's, you know, he's, uh, he and I are, are connected in this acting realm too, as we're building out things and, and, you know, more and more campuses. I know you've had some interaction cause he's definitely brought you up too. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. He's such a unique guy. And I have so many amazing stories with him that it just blow people's mind that there is a human that's like that. But what's, what's been just kind of, this is something I just wanted to ask on a personal level. Like what's been kind of your interaction with Chris? Yeah, Chris is a great dude. So I met him first. Uh, I was working at the Institute for Humane Studies. And as I mentioned, I was doing, I was running a bunch of student programs, but then I started yeah. doing fundraising. So I'm flying all over the country, meeting with very wealthy people and saying, Hey, look, here's the stuff that we're doing at IHS would you support it? And I met him there because he had supported them in the past. And so Got it. I went out there with the president of IHS and I'm like, we're going to meet this dude. And I, you know, I researched all about him and read all of his stuff and his story and we're going to pitch him. We're going to ask him for some huge amount of money that, you know, he, he's, he's never given him out that big. And it's like this big deal, you know, and we go out there and, um, you know, I've met with a lot of wealthy people before at that point. And this dude is just so different. He's just so <laughs> yeah, different. Man. He's just like, yeah. I mean, first he's just got his boundaries around his, like to, to schedule a meeting with him, you, you had to yeah. fax him. Like literally yes, we had to fax you, him. <laughs> yes. You still have to fax him. Yes. You still do. And I'm like, first yeah. I thought it was crazy. Now I'm like, oh, I totally respect this because he's, he's controlling the way that communications come to him. And when you're yep. a baller at that level, yep. you got people calling you, emailing you, blowing you up all the time. And he's like, again, it's a barrier. It's kind of like a shit test. If you That's can't right. get the time, nobody has a fax machine anymore. If you won't take the time to figure out how to fax me, then it yeah. will filter out a lot of people that might waste my time. So anyway, right. but I, I got to know him. I met with him several times over the years. And um, when I launched Praxis, um, you know, told him all about it, met with him there. And, uh, you know, we've kept up. I think we had a, a couple of people from Self-Management Institute, Paul Green, cool. uh, come out yep. and speak at the very first Praxis opening seminar. Very cool. Um, so I've just always been in awe of what he's done with his company. Yeah. Just saying, look, what if we ran a company the way that, uh, the way that I think society ought to be run where people, people have leadership roles and yeah. responsibility over others, but they earn it through what they yep. do. They're not just granted authority and then everybody just obeys. It's like you manage yourself. Um, yep. and I, and I've strived, we don't have the same formal processes, but I've strived to run my companies that way. Like yeah. practice crash. There's no formal hours. There's no yep. vacation time. There's no, you work whenever you want, from wherever you want, however you want. All that matters is that the things you're responsible for are getting done and the people you That's work right. with have good lines of communication with you. Everything else you manage yourself. Um, right. And I've, I've learned a lot from him. That's very cool, man. Yeah, he's just the raddest, and I could do a whole. I mean, we could do a whole episode just at, uh, just talking about that guy. But yeah, I mean, that's and I think that's why he loves you know the acting model so much because that's absolutely it. You know, this the decentralization of power and everybody responsible for their own stuff, and all the way down to, um, you know, all the way down to those heroes, man. And and uh, 
yeah, he's just this brilliant guy. And, and when he and I were going in on this campus that I'm actually in uh, right now, and we were negotiating on the price and, you know, Chris says, all right, go in. If you can negotiate the price down for, they were asking like 7.7 million, I think for this building. He's like, you get him down to five. He's like, we'll go in, we'll pull the trigger. I was like, okay, cool. So going in and having these conversations, you know, with these brokers for a couple months to get it all down. We finally got it all dialed in and they're like, okay, but we don't believe that this guy exists. It's actually going to come in. Like, <laughs> can we meet him at some point, you know? And I'm like, I will do my best so that you guys can actually meet him, but be ready He's a very different individual. The guy's like, look, I've been in this business for 40 years. I have met the wealthiest of the wealthy. Like, I, I know how they all operate. And I went, okay, man, cool, sounds good. And so Chris finally comes in. We have a very different kind of meeting because Chris is running it from start to finish and he knows exactly what he wants and exactly what he's going to get. And as we're walking out of there, you know, Chris goes first out the door and I turn around and look at these guys and they're just shaking their heads, you know, like, holy shit. And I go, I told you. You know, like I just mouthed it. I'm like, I told you he's a different kind of guy, man. He's one of my favorite humans on the planet. That's a good lesson, gents, that most of the really successful people I know, they're just different. They're weird. They lean into the ways that they're different. They don't try to be the same. They're just, they yep. just go all in. They say, this is how yep. I am. And I'm going to use the, the advantages. Let's get, let's get some questions, man. Yeah, let's do it, man. Kaleo, get in there. righty, sir. My question for you is if a young man came up to you and wanted nothing more than to come work with you, what would you want to see from him? That's a great question. And, I, and I've definitely had that happen uh, several times. Um, many times I have ended up hiring that person, but not always, um, for a couple of reasons. Not always because I think they don't have what I need. Sometimes we just aren't hiring anyone at that time and it just you know, it just isn't a, it doesn't make sense. So it's not always like, Oh, you're not, you know, you're not good enough or something like that. Um, look, I mean, the things I care the most about are like whatever the opposite of flakiness is and like mm -hmm. ghosting, just mm -hmm. absolute rock solid, 100% quick communication every single time. So I'm, I'm like obsessive compulsive about this. My email inbox never has unread messages in it. I mean, I'm talking like it never goes more than a few hours. And I reply to literally every email within 24 hours maximum. And I put everything on the schedule and I, like, I'm just very, and so when people don't operate that way, it really bugs me. So if someone says, and I get this all the time, Hey, I'm super interested in, you know, whatever. Can they ask me a question? Can you tell me blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, go to XYZ and then email me back. And they never do, or they take five days. And to me, it's like, it's over, right? So, <laughs> um, in fact, we used to have part of the practice application be, um, we would give them a little, uh, just a very small assignment. They would apply and then we'd say, great, go do this. And if they didn't get it within 48 hours, they didn't get into the program. Done. We didn't tell them that that was going to yep. be. Now, I don't think the application has that now, but that, because trying to get to that, like, like to me, that's just, and I'm like a quick on the ball guy. So promptness, you know, um, and then just like, I need some evidence. I need some proof that you are a hustler, that you're curious, that you're always learning and that you're always grinding and, and working. So if you just tell me that, that's not really evidence. Like uh, people will say, Hey, I really want to publish a book. Do you have any tips for me? Can you do a call with me to tell me how you published a book? And then I'll go Google them and I can't find a single thing they've written anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you don't want to publish a book. You've never written anything. What are you talking about? Like if you had a blog or whatever, right? So if you're coming and saying, I, I want to work with you, I want to see some evidence. And again, it's not like the bar is like some, some insane thing, but I want to see some evidence that like you care. And honestly, the, probably the biggest thing, and I, I did these in reverse order maybe, but um, I want to know why you are specifically interested in my company. Right. So a lot of people don't get this. They think, you know, okay, I just need any company to hire me. So I'll go tell them about me, 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 me. Hey, Isaac, can I work for you? Can I work for Crash or Praxis? Because I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. And I'm thinking, but you probably said that to 13 other companies, right? It's like, the, it's like, it's like in the world of dating. Hopefully you guys aren't spending much time in dating at this point. Right. Waste of time <laughs> of your age. But where you don't go around and hand out a piece of paper to like 20 girls that has, here are the 10 reasons I'm dateable. Nobody, nobody wants to go on a date with somebody who's like, let me tell you about me. They want you to be interested in them specifically. Hey, 
you're super fascinating to me. Tell me more about this. I want to know more about this. We should go get coffee. Companies are the same way. So if you come to me telling me, here's all my skills, me, 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 me. I'm like, but if you come to me and say, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with crash. I love that you do this and this. I went and I read all your career guides and I learned this and I felt this. And I think I can help you in the following specific way. That's a much, much stronger pitch to me because now I know I live and breathe my mission. I want to know if you do too. And if you don't, that's fine. But if, if, if you do, that makes me want to have you work with me, right? Not just like a guy that wants a job and, you know, thinks that this might be a cool one. So I think those would be maybe the top three things that you genuinely are obsessed with the same mission I'm obsessed with. And you have a way to, to indicate that to me. Um, your communication is insanely, is insanely prompt and timely. And you've got some proof of your hustle and your work ethic. Thank you, sir. Beautiful. It's fantastic. Yeah, you bet. Beautiful. Good question, sir. All right, Parker, you're up. First off, I got to say, uh, sorry, you have to be a Lions fan because that's got to <laughs> suck. Um, My wife tells me I have a choice, but I, I don't, it doesn't feel like that to me. I trust like me. I just, I was I'm a Niners fan and the last two seasons have been very depressing because I thought we were great. <laughs> But my question for you is, what is the most influential mistake you've ever made? Who? Mm. Okay, I, I don't know if this is like, I'm sure it much more dramatic, even more impactful mistakes. But this was really early career and it comes to mind right away. And it's a real simple little one. So I was running this program in Michigan. It was called Students for a Free Economy. And I was going around to episodes the state and bringing in speaking interested in free markets and free enterprise. And I had this idea for the University of Michigan, which has a very kind of like, you know, socialist uh, vibe to it. People a good way to aren't put it. big fans of free markets. I thought, and, there, and environmentalism was really hot at the time. And I thought, I'm going to do this event about how a lot of environmental poly, green policies are actually really bad for the environment and for the market and that free market solutions are much better. I thought this is going to be awesome. We're going to call it when green is mean. And we're going to talk about the unintended consequences of like environmental policies and how they can harm people and whatever. And I like put together this and I was like, this is going to be awesome. So I go and then I get the campus club that's there on the, at the university. And I say, Hey, let's do this event. Can you guys help me? Blah, blah, blah. And we do it. And I spent a ton of money bringing it, flying in a speaker and all this stuff. And like, nobody came. And what I realized was I didn't, I didn't learn enough about my market. Mm. I had an idea. I wasn't a I wasn't a student at university of Michigan. Mm -hmm. I didn't even live in Ann Arbor. Um, I had an idea of what kind of stuff was hot on their campus and my idea of what, what was going to shake things up and make people really interested and I put it all together in my grand vision and had really cool design flyers, all this stuff. And then I went to the student group, the students who lived on the ground, who ran like a free, uh, an economics club or something and was like, Hey, help me do this event. Instead of going to them and saying, Hey, what would be an event that would be? So I learned the hard way and it was embarrassing. I'm standing out there with this speaker that I had flown in from like Washington or something. And he was like this really big name researcher on environmental stuff. And he's just standing there and there's literally like, I'm texting, like I'm begging kids that I knew at that campus to please come. So I wouldn't be embarrassed. There was like six people. Mm. And, and it was, it was so awful. He had to give this presentation in front of an empty room. So the next time I went to the campus club and I said, all right, you guys tell me what would be awesome. What would be exciting? What would be interesting on that campus? And they were like, boom, boom, boom. If you could get John Stossel in mm. to talk about socialized medicine. And I was like, done. We'll make it happen. And we had, a, we had, we had like 20,000 people pack out the room and because the, these kids, it was their idea and they were excited and they come on, they went out and did the flyers and they, I didn't just come in and tell them, Hey, I'm going to sell you this. You know what I mean? So I just learned that like, know your audience, be one of them, be among them, get, as they say in the world of startups, get out of the building and talk to your customers and get an understanding of what it is, what problems they have, what needs they have and solve those instead of the ones that you imagine. So good, man. So good. That's beautiful. By the way, Stossel is a great dude and probably the hardest guy I ever interviewed. That was really? probably the most, yeah, it really was. It was probably the most difficult interview I ever had. And it was, he was very upfront about how he's not used to being on the other side, can't 
you know, can't edit and, and all of these things. Very interesting. He's a phenomenal guy, man. He's, he's um, one of my favorites, but yeah. Hey, that dude, uh, that dude. Um, so he had a horrible speech impediment. Yes, he like did. Like most of And yeah. to where like any kind of talking was brutal right. for him. And what does he do? He goes on to become like an award-winning journalist who talks in front of a camera for a living. So that's One of the greatest cool of all time. It is rad, man. I love it. All right, Logan, you're up, sir. Uh, thank you, sir, for hopping on this call today. I really appreciate it. A lot of, a lot of wisdom I've received. So I was wondering, are you familiar with the uh, Acton method of uh, teaching? Are you fairly familiar? I'm actually on the board of Acton Academy in Washington, D.C., a good buddy of mine. Uh, David Kirby? That one. So I'm, I'm f- somewhat familiar, not, not necessarily with all of the exact details, but mm-hmm. I get the concept basically, yeah. Yeah, so – my mom runs the act and I go to, so I've never really experienced what it's like to be in a normal school or I guess, quote unquote, normal school setting. So I was wondering what kind of differences you see that are uh, good and bad because there's, there has to be some sort of a uh, uh, ladder. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And, um, you know, so I homeschool my own kids as well. And my son, when he turned uh, 14, kind of just like me was like, all right, I want to get out of the house. I want to go. So he went to a, we went to like a private school for a year. Then he did a public school for a year. Then we moved and he did a different public school. And then he was like, I'm done with this. And now he's just working full time. He's, he's almost 17. And he's just like, I'm not doing school anymore. But um, so I, I, I understand kind of the pros and cons pretty well. So the pros are like off the charts. I mean, let me just say it's a, it's an unfair, it's an unfair matchup. Like it's, it's hands down. It's very, very easy, which, which is a preferable experience. Um, Acton, Acton students, in my experience, are, they're like, they're like a lot of the traits that, that homeschool students tend to have with more consistency. There's a wider variance with homeschoolers. You can get some who are just way out there, really weird, and some are there. But like, in general, they tend to have more hustle, more independence, whatever. Acton students are like a slightly more consistent version of that. Like, you, you pretty much know they're going to have a certain set of those things because they have slightly more structure around it. Um, so that independence and that confidence, I mean, the fact that you're, you're super comfortable talking to a 38-year-old guy, right? I always notice that with homeschoolers. They can talk to people of any age. Where kids right. who go to public school, they're like awkward around anyone who's not within one year of their own age most of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like little things like that. In terms of the cons, I mean, honestly, it just, I would say they're more like, what challenges are you willing to put up with? Right. So if you're a super, super extroverted person and let's say your Acton Academy is small and there's not that many kids in it and there's not like sports and all this other stuff and you want to do all those activities, that's a sacrifice. That's a challenge. Now you can find ways. Sometimes you can even participate in public school sports teams and whatever, but um, you know, you don't have that sort of giant campus full of people that has a whole ton of stuff going on. So that's something that if that matters a lot to you, that's a cost and you have to decide how much that's worth and if it's worth it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other one is really just, and this has become less and less so. In fact, I would almost say this is reversed, but maybe not quite yet. Is there, you're going to deal with some, some social status stigma. Um, so people are going to look at you funny or think that you're weird because you don't go to normal school or public school. And then you're going to have self-doubt with that. You're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to have a sense of identity that's strong enough. Because, look, I see this with college all the time. If you do the thing everyone else does, even if everyone runs off a cliff together at the same time, Mm -hmm. no one will blame you. So if a kid goes to college and they can't get a job and they're a total loser and they're depressed, no one will blame them for going to college. They'll Mm -hmm. still say, I'm proud of you that you went to college. Even if college is a thing that ruined their life, Mm-hmm. People won't blame them. They won't say you never should have gone to college because right. everyone does. Everyone will praise you for it. But if you're someone who says, I'm not going to college, you do something different. Even if you're crushing it, even if you're successful, they're going to say, you should have gone to college. Every time you hit a bump in the road, they're going to say, should have gotten that degree. And you're going to have to have the, the strength, the will to be able to. And so to a lesser degree, doing something different in the realm of school you know, there's some of that. There's some of that social thing. But I will tell you that is changing. You're going to get praise from the smartest people, the most innovative people. They're actually actively looking for people who are taking a different approach to education. And they're going to say, dude, you're, you're awesome. You're a rock star. You, you, went, you did it this way. That's all the better, right? Maybe kids your age that are playing the same video games as you are going to call you a weirdo. But in the broader world, 
um, that's less and less the case. So I think those are the main things. I mean, you know, you can get value out of any type of situation. Um, but if you just compare apples to apples, you look side by side, like taking a, taking a student driven approach to learning is just infinitely better because it's how the world works and you want to be able to succeed in the world, not in a pretend imaginary world, you know? Yeah. So good. Thank you, sir. That's something I can relate to because I'm a very extroverted person. So it's nice to see that someone kind of agrees with me on that. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some, I always used to just embrace, just embrace and be like, Oh, I'm like a weird homeschooler. You know, I like, Oh yeah. I just churn butter every day and you know, know, (laughs) whatever, just make me take play with the stereotypes, run with them. Um, and just kind of embrace it, you know? Great question, Logan. Great question. All right. Uh, Benaya, go for it, sir. Thank you, sir, for getting on this call. I can really relate with your story because I've been homeschooled for almost my whole life. This year I'm 14 and I'm taking a few classes my freshman year in high school and it's been totally different from what I'm used to. But it's just cool to see that I'm not like this whack homeschooler and I'm actually a whole lot smarter than the average kid. But um, I was just wondering if you had one piece of advice for us young men here, what would it be? Mm. I think, I think the single piece of advice, like people ask if you could go back and tell yourself something, whatever. When I was around your age is probably what I, when I would have wanted to tell myself that um, you can do whatever you want to do, whatever you think sounds interesting to you, 10 exit. Mm. You can do something way, way bigger than you think you can. Like whatever, whatever you think your goal is. I mean, I remember I, I was like, well, you know, I've never really had like material goals in a, in a major way, but I was like, well, if I can just like get a job and I can afford a $120,000 a year, you know, mortgage house at some point. And, uh, you know, just like not, not do stuff that I hate doing. I guess that would be good. Like I just, I didn't, I was not around people growing up in the Midwest. I was around people with good character, but not huge ambition. They weren't, they weren't like, they wouldn't dare to say, I want to change the way education is done forever. I want to change the world. Right. I want to, I want to, I want to fly to the moon. I want to right? So like being, giving yourself permission to think bigger. I remember the first time when I started practice, when somebody was like, you know, how big do you want it to be? And I was like, well, I, don't, I like sort of haven't allowed myself to answer that question. Like, do you want to build a billion dollar company? And I was like embarrassed to even think, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to do my best. And finally I was like, yeah, I want to see if I can build a billion dollar company. And being willing to, to just say that, admit that to myself is actually what led to the idea for Crash because I realized that Praxis has a ceiling. It, it, it's, you know, it's got a growth ceiling. There's only so many people that can go through this program at a time. What if I tried to do something else? Crash is not a billion dollar company uh, by any means. Uh, but just being willing to say, yeah, I want to go for that. That was like hard, but it was a game changer for me to just be unafraid of it. And like, I'll either fail or succeed doesn't matter who cares if I fail at it, but like, why am I afraid to aim high and to try that? So like, Mm. it sounds cheesy. Mm. It sounds like a Disney movie, but I mean it in a really concrete way. Like, don't be afraid to go for, for something crazy, you know, to think really, really big and to, and to believe that that's, that's possible. There's a reason so many professional athletes and professional entertainers, their kids also become professional athletes, entertainers. It's not just because of the genes that they get or because the connections they have. It's because what you grow up viewing as normal is very likely easy for you to obtain. So if you grow up around people who are professional athletes for you, that's like, yeah, of course that's, that's an option. I could do that if I wanted to, but if you grow up and you've never met a professional athlete in your life, they're this far off mythical thing. You're going to believe, well, of course I can't be a professional athlete or entertainer or whatever it is. right? Right. And so don't be constrained by what you see as normal around you, go look for stories, look mm-hmm. for people. They're just people. They're just people. Like I grew up small town Midwest. It took me a long time to, to not be afraid to think big and to push myself. And I still struggle with, it. I still gotta be like, yeah, I can do it. I can do whatever, right? I gotta get that Mamba mentality going. So right. um, that would be my advice, you know? Think really big. That's awesome, That's awesome man. 
that's huge. Now, look, we want to be, so I know we have two more here, but I want to be, I want to honor your time too. Cause I know we had an hour down, sir. So are, do we want to wrap up here? Do you have time for the last two? Oh Whatever yeah. We're crushing both of these last two. You're okay. You're awesome, man. Appreciate it. Aiden, go for it, sir. Last two guys. Thank you, Mr. Morehouse for coming on. I really appreciate it, sir. So my, my question for you here today was um, how, how much of a role do you believe that innate talent, potentially intuition, a sense of the market, how, how much of a role do you think that that plays in success of anyone, but potentially as a subset to that, a, an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think innate talent has anything to do with success, but it has everything to do with what specific type of success you're going to achieve. So, you know, to me, greatness is doing the most with what you have, right? It's not doing the most, it's doing the most given what you have. That's why to me, I think Steph Curry is one of the greatest basketball players ever because this dude's got a skinny, small, little body and what he had with that, you know, was not expected to do well, went to a team that wasn't good, didn't have any other stars. That is awesome, right? And so when you find whatever your innate abilities and interests are, finding out where those are maximally valued is really important. And then it's what you put in, it's what you bring to that. It's what you do with that, right? So, you know, I've got physical limitations that mean there's certain things that I will never, I'll never be the best in the world at basketball, certainly not being a center in basketball, purely based on innate things I'm born with, born with. But what can I do with what I've been given to push my greatness? Not only, you know, whatever, I can be as, as good as I can be in basketball, fine. But where is an area where I have something that is like in the top 1% in the world? And that's what you kind of want to find and figure out is like, what comes easy to me that's hard for everyone else? And where if you find out how to apply that that's where you'll get that massive success. So you can be successful as a nerdy, introverted, awkward dude with physical problems and, and health issues, and you can be massively successful. And you can be massively successful as like a totally extroverted, jacked up dude. With, there's a million ways to be successful. It just depends on where you are, how you're applying it. So I think the key is like learning what are you? What are your innate abilities? What does come easy to you that doesn't to others? What do you hate and are not good at? Avoid those things. Don't invest more time in those, right? Be, be good enough to pass so that you're, you know, whatever, but focus on what, man, I end up, always end up doing this really well. And when I'm in a group of people, I'm always the guy who does this. Huh, that's interesting. Let me see if I can do that more. And so like, don't feel this pressure when I say find out that thing that you do really well. That's so much pressure. I've always felt like when people say, find your passion, chase it. That's like an impossible task. So I do the reverse. I, I, I call it, don't do stuff you hate. I want to try as many things as I can. And if I'm not good at it or I hate it, I'm like, okay, great. Now I know that's not one of the things, right? Okay. I just keep like a mental list of things that I hate, you know, <laughs> you know, okay. whatever it is, doesn't jive with me, my personality. Okay. I've tried that. Don't want to do that again. And you add to that list and then the range of what's left keeps getting narrower and narrower. And it's like you're chipping away and then you eventually get to a point where all that's left is stuff that mm. you love and you're really good at, your sweet spot. And so you find it through trial and error. And I think if you always bring the work ethic and the mentality to the table, whatever you're given, you can be successful at if it's in the right field, right? So it's like a, it's like a Venn diagram of, you know, Stuff you don't hate, stuff you don't suck at, and stuff other people value. Yep. If you're doing something that is in that nexus, you don't hate it. You don't even have to love it or be great at it to start with. As long as you don't hate it and don't suck at it and other people value it enough to pay for it, you're moving in the right direction. And you just keep, keep refining that, keep refining that, and you'll end up I, – I don't even – like I wouldn't have known what I'm, what I'm doing today. I couldn't have described or even imagined when I was 14, right. 16 at all. But I just kept – Chipping away. I don't want to do that anymore. Don't like, don't like politics anymore. Don't want to do it anymore. Got to go somewhere else. Okay. Now it's this, now it's this. And then I ended up here by a process of removing all this stuff. And now I don't even know how to describe what I do. I talk, I write, I run businesses. I, I create visions and get people excited about them. I don't know what you put a name on that for, but it's a really valuable thing. It's really fulfilling, you know? Um, so hopefully that's, hopefully that's helpful to you. That's awesome. For sure. Absolutely. Thank you, sir.
Beautiful, man. Love it. Fenley Steele, you have the last one, sir. Bring us home. Thank you, sir, for coming on the call today. And my question for you is, what are you, per, uh, what are you working on improving in your personal or professional life right now? That's a great, that's a great one. Um, I'll give you two. Well, I guess I'll give you one for each. In the personal life, I'm always working on how to be a better dad. It's like the hardest thing in the world. For sure. I got four kids. If they were all the same, I might be, I might've been able to learn it. They're all so different that it's like, you think you get it with one. And then, so, um, and I've always wanted to be a dad. I've always loved kids and been excited about that. And like, oh, great. We're gonna have a bunch of kids. And then you have them and it's like, oh man, I'm in way over my head. And I'm, I'm in my, I mean, I've, I've got, I've had kids for uh, almost 17 years now and I'm still in over my head. So I'm always working on that. Just trying and, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of talking about stuff with my wife and then, you know, reading and stuff, just trying to keep sharp. Like this is a, this is the most important thing. The most important duty that I have is raising my kids. Like, am I not going to like read up and study and, and work on how to improve like I do for hobbies and business things? I should, I need to. Um, so that's one in the professional side. Honestly, I talk too much. That's my biggest weakness. I talk too much. I mean, you probably noticed it on this call. I give long rambling answers. I tend to ramble. So I do a lot of podcasting. I do a lot of speaking. I'm working on getting more concise in that context, but also just conversationally. I'll be on team meetings with my team and I'll just realize I dominate the conversation. I bowl it over too much. I'm an interrupter. My whole family is, we grew up, we all just interrupt each other. And that's normal when we're together. But for other people, that's not normal. That's, and I have a strong personality. So I can, you know, fail to get input and insight from other people that would be valuable because of that. Um, sometimes talking too much just means I wear it on my sleeve too much. I share too much information too soon. Like I'm thinking of an idea. I used to have this a lot. I've gotten better at this with my company. I'm thinking of some crazy new idea with the company. And it's really just an unformed thought. And I'm totally comfortable playing around with crazy ideas because I'm a very, you know, I have a high risk tolerance. Not everyone is. Some of my employees are very sort of conservative in there. And if I'm like, hey guys, what if we did this? Some of them just get stressed and they're stressed for like two weeks. And then they're like, hey, remember that thing you mentioned? Are we going to do it? And I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. I was just playing around with idea. It's like, I shouldn't have just blurted it out, right? So I think I've just, oh, my whole life, I'll probably be working on that. Um, Man. I, I'm, I, just, I just talk too much. You know, that's, that's one of my big weaknesses. I'm sitting here looking at the other, you know, Allie's in here, Praxian over here from Michigan. And I'm looking at her and I'm just nodding my, it's like listening. It's like this whole, this whole conversation, man, it's been like listening to my autobiography. <laughs> it's essentially, it's essentially, it's essentially exactly what's going on. And what's your wife's name too? Heather. Like? Yeah, mine too. So why not, dude? Why, there we why, go. Like, why, like, why don't we? Yeah, dude. It's like, it's hilarious, man. You're sitting here saying all these things. I'm like, dude, this is like having these conversations over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Man. I got to get Absolutely. my beard game like yours though. I can't well, grow that's a, a real beard. That's your next step, man. And yep. I'm, you know what, like you're 38. I'm only four. How old am I? 41? <laughs> I'm only three years older, but with the gray beard, I look a good 15 years older. So it you got to step that part it up. It gives you yeah. wisdom. Hey yeah, man, you guys are awesome. This, this is really fun. You had great, great group here. Great young man, man. And, and, um, great guest dude. And, and you being included, man. So, so grateful for you and grateful for you taking the time, obviously to pour into these young guys and, um, but just grateful for, for just having somebody that's been kind of this, almost this unofficial running buddy, you know, in so many different ways over these last few years, man. And, and just, uh, uh, you know, what you're doing in the world is something that obviously I personally vibe with, but even if I didn't understand it, seeing what you're doing and going on and building this dude, it's, it's what everybody needs to see, man. So I'm very grateful for you. Always grateful, um, to, to be able to help, you know, crash and praxis in any way we can, man. So thank you for everything. Likewise. Hey, go get it boys. Really yes. go out there and seize the day. Dang right. There you go, man. Freedom Fighter, Isaac Morehouse. Check him out at Isaac Morehouse. Check him out at Crash. Check him out at Praxis. Uh, give some love to all those. And speaking of love, thank you for giving love to the Essential 11. We will check you guys next time.